Welcome to the Just Go Grind podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the director of marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Herb Coakley, founder and CEO of Curial, a people-first technology company that seamlessly connects consumers and businesses with a community of on-demand gig workers willing to deliver anything or run errands on their behalf. We dive into Herb's journey from filmmaker to entrepreneur, going through Y Combinator with a previous company, learning from those mistakes, starting Curial, and much, much more. I also recently launched a founder community for Just Go Grind, which you can find at justgogrind.com and look for a community in there. We had 70 plus people join in this first batch of founders, helping each other start and grow companies with weekly office hours and events, a forum of sorts, people could comment on, ask questions they have and get insights on fundraising and growth and marketing and hiring and much, much more. That being said, let's dive into today's episode with Herb Coakley, founder and CEO of Curial. Herb, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, with Curial, there is always a lot I want to talk about with every company. With this company, because you had a previous one in the space and your your experience in this gig space is, is really interesting, intriguing, and uh, props to Harry for introducing us. And I'm curious, though, for people who aren't familiar, what is Curial doing today? So Coriel is a last mile courier and errand service for everything. And we're particularly focused on empowering frontline communities and gig workers. And we built it with a people first approach to technology. So we're making it easier for them to afford electrified vehicles, making it easier for them to earn more money and giving them a space where they can work and feel like they're, you know, have some sense of dignity about the work they do. With this company, so why did you start in the first place? I always am curious about that because entrepreneurs, especially if they've had another company before, you have like this world of options where you can start anything in any space. So why this particular company for you? Well, I, I mean, I'm not sure how much you know about my background, right? I'm not sure Harry told you. <laughs> it's sort of security. I do my research. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, I started, you know, my adult life as a physicist and then somehow ended up becoming a filmmaker. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, not somehow, but, you know, I uh, made some decisions that led me that, on that path. So I was working as a filmmaker for a while. And then I made, I made a movie that uh, was supposed to be like my big splash, you know, uh, <laughs> like, like my own personal, you know, writing, directing thing. And um, ended up putting a lot of my own personal funds into it, which is, you know, you never should do that. But I was so convinced this was the one I did. <laughs> and um, a lot of the, you know, other partners and collaborators that I brought on to help me, um, they put up some money and they were supposed to put up, bring more money. Um, but during the, the production of the movie, they just sort of bailed. <laughs> and I was left kind of holding the bag. Jeez. And um, I ended up, you know, finishing the movie, barely finishing the movie, but not having enough money to pay the cast, the crew, um, and vendors, like the last, uh, you know, their last check, which was almost $100,000. And uh, so it just, it it became a really tough time for me. So I ended up uh, in a really dark place, you know, um, just just like, you know, long story short, I, I actually ended up, walking away from a relationship because you know it was toxic at the time because of what i was going through um end up literally 
I had a car, so I ended up living in my car for a little bit and um, trying to figure out how did I get here and being in a position where you're kind of successful as a filmmaker, independent filmmaker, so you kind of don't want anybody to really know what you're going through, so you kind of want to ask for help. Um, so I was sort of in that place where I'm going to just... I'm going to figure this out, right? And um, and a friend of mine, you know, accidentally found out what I was doing and said, dude, what are you doing? What's going <laughs> on? You know, so, so I finally told him, you know, and he's like, man, you cannot do this. So he, I went and stayed with him for a little bit um, while I tried to figure out my next move. And during that time, I I started seeing all the commercials. For, this was about seven years ago. I started seeing all the commercials for Uber and Lyft. And, and I started thinking, oh, you know what? this could be good for me right now. You know, it could be cathartic, talk to strangers all day about, you know, what I was going through, the hell, the hell that was my life at the time. Yeah. And um, so I, I decided to do that. And this is how I met Harry. So once I started um, on that journey, I did all a bunch of research about what it's like to be a driver and, you know, all the things you need to do, the equipment you need to have, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things that everyone kept saying was you need to drive for Uber and Lyft at the same time, right? If you want to really do it. Um, so I did that. And within a short period of time, this was here in LA too. Within a short period of time, I realized this is really difficult to have one app on one phone, app on another phone, driving through LA and these crazy streets and freeways and trying to have a conversation with your customer at the same time. Nope. It was insane. And I was like, I was like, okay, this is technology. There has to be... Uh, a tool that you can use that would aggregate all these platforms into one device so that you don't have to do all that stuff. So that's when I, I'd heard about Harry. So I reached out to Harry and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a new driver and, you know, I know there's got to be something out there where I could like kind of connect all the apps together in one place, you know? Um, and he's like, no, there's nothing like that, but that's a great <laughs> idea. Um, if you find one, let me know. I'll talk about it. And, uh, or, or if you want to build one, something like that. So that got me, the, that gave me the idea. I was like, okay, uh, maybe this is something I can create. Mind you, I, you know, I was a physicist before, but I was a while ago. <laughs> Up until this point, I've been a filmmaker, right? So uh, the, you know, that part of my brain hasn't been utilized for quite, quite some time. <laughs> so, so I didn't know anything about coding and any of that stuff. And um, so I started just telling passengers about the idea. And they started, passengers started loving it. Um, and then I would talk to drivers about it. And drivers were like, oh, my God, if you can get that bill out, I would, I would pay for that in a minute. So I was like, wow, okay. So then I just started tossing this around. And I, I didn't know anyone in Silicon Valley except an old buddy from college, right? So I called him up and I was like, hey, uh, I have this idea for a tech company. <laughs> you know, I know you're working in tech. And he's like, oh, God, here we go again. Because pretty much anyone who works in tech, everyone in their family has an idea for a startup, right? <laughs> so, of course. Of course. Right? so he was like, okay, here we go again. And I told him what I had. And he's like, whoa, that's amazing. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, that's amazing. I'm like, okay, cool. I was like, well, I was thinking of coming up there. He said, well, perfect, because I'm about to go out of country, go out of town for a few weeks. You can stay at my place. So I went up to San Francisco, which was great, too, because I got me out of L.A., because I was terrified that someone I knew for, as a filmmaker was going to see me driving around in an yeah. Uber. Mm -hmm. So I was freaking out about that every day. <laughs> so, so going to San Francisco was a great escape. So I did that. And some a lot of really interesting things started happening. So within about 
within about four months of driving around San Francisco, me telling everyone who got into the car about this idea, I met a, one of my passengers, uh, I pitched it to love it so much. He was just starting a new uh, angel fund with a buddy and they gave me $100,000. Oh, wow. So literally that launched my first company. So then I stopped driving for a while, started to build that company, um, trying to find developers and what have you. Um, and, and then started to build that out and iterate. And then about three months after that, um, <laughs> somebody from uh, this really famous accelerator <laughs> got into the car and I pitched them and they're like, that's a great idea. You should consider applying. So I did. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was in Y Combinator. Um, <laughs> so mind you, this is literally about six months after sleeping in my car, right? <laughs> so, That's crazy. <laughs> um, so all of a sudden now, I'm like a tech entrepreneur, like just out of nowhere, right? And um, so we, you know, so that company, we launched it, uh, launched the product. Drivers loved it. It took off, but partly because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. That company sort of crashed and burned because I literally didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, you know, I literally was just like, just lost. Cause I was like, how did I get here? Like it was so fast, yeah. but I learned a lot. And right before I left the company, um, I had the idea for Coriel, which was to do something. Cause the first company, Maestro, which was just an aggregator really, it was really small. It was never really intended to turn into anything like there was never really something I saw becoming a billion dollar company, right? It was yeah, a really cool yeah. tool that was going to be great for drivers. A lot. The big thing about my show for me, more than anything, was the ability to allow drivers to to drive, you know, um, without being distracted, right? Yeah. So they could like focus on driving, and the, the technology can take care of, you know, selecting rides and stuff like that. And um, so that was the big thing for me, which I loved about it, and which most drivers loved about it. So I, it was always a tool. So I never started being this billion dollar company. So I was always trying to find a pivot. And then Coriel was a pivot. Part of the issue was with my last company is the, the co-founders weren't really that interested in the pivot I wanted to do. Um, they wanted, you know, they, were, they, they had loftier ideas of turning the first company into an Uber, in which I never saw it. Um, so so I, I, I left and then I started working on Coriel. And um, because of the problems I had with the first company, as far as like finding developers and collaborators early on, um, for Coriel, I decided to do as much as I could on my own. So um, I started, I basically taught myself how to code and taught myself how to design. So I actually wrote the entire code base, um, you know, the system architecture for Coriel, and I designed the entire app, both apps and the website and, and the website myself. Um, and so I got it all started and then I was able to bring in some developers, um, you know, as I had more cash, cause I started consulting as well. So as I had a little bit more cash, I started to bring in some developers to help build out the rest of it. So, which was great because it took so long to kind of figure out what it was going to be, how it was going to look, um, and, and everything. So being able to have it all come from one place where I was a designer as well as the, the, you know, Builder, the developer, like the builder, the CTO, basically who was driving the technology. It made the process much easier, much faster as, as we were built for the, such a small team. Um, so as we did that, and then after we were in stealth mode for about for about a year, almost a year, and then so right during the pandemic is when we were really building, which is perfect because I had an opportunity to just kind of like you know dig in and just yep. just work and getting getting the product built. 
And then we launched the MVP last spring. Um, and uh, we pretty much, you know, the, the, initially we just bootstrapped. It was just, you know, some of my cash. And I had, I had a partner who came on early on and uh, he put up some of his cash as well. And that's kind of how we started it. And then uh, last year, you know, after we launched, we were able to raise a little bit more money um, through friends and family. And then we got lucky and got accepted into uh, this uh, climate tech incubator um, called uh, Elemental. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they've been yeah. great. And uh, we're still in that program right now. We have like another month to go. And they gave us they gave us a little bit of uh, money as well. And so we just started building from there. And funny thing was, when we first launched it, it was focused on being more of a B2C play, you know, yeah. kind of like. You know, you just open the app and order something, right? You know, the idea for us was really, you know, I should go back a little bit about to talk a little bit about the company. So, as far as the company, the, the product itself, the whole idea for for um, for Coriel was this: most gig workers drive for three to six platforms, right? And the technology that's used to uh, allow people to go pick things up and track them. It's not particularly unique and it's not particularly difficult to build. I mean, hey, I taught myself the code and I built it. <laughs> so that tells you how simple the technology is, right? So, so my thinking was, look, if the technology is not particularly unique and all the people are doing, all the people, the, the gig workers who are going to do the work are all the same people, why not have it in one place, right? So the idea was one app that does everything, you know. It literally delivers anything or runs any errands on demand. You don't have to wait an hour or the next day to find a person. It's like whatever you need picked up or you need done in a short period of time, you can find a gig worker in your area to do it. That was the idea, right, uh, as far as the product itself. And then beyond that, after being a gig worker myself and understanding uh, like a lot of the issues we had with the, the market leaders um, and talking to hundreds of drivers just from my time as a worker, about hearing the same problems over and over about gamification and lack of communication and lack of respect. Um, so I wanted to also build something that would kind of restore a sense of dignity to gig, gig workers. So I tried to take away all the things that they would complain about, like gamification and lack of communication and build those, make those like the foundation for what the company would be. So that's why I like to say we decided to build a people-first technology company. So where I, I first tried to understand where the issues were happening as they applied to the people responsible for doing all this work and as, yeah. as they applied to the way the customers reacted to this all this whole space. So I tried to solve those problems first, and then I didn't add the technology that would make that all work, right? So, so that's kind of what we created with the company. So we launched, uh, say, last spring, and it was really scary because at first it was just crickets. It was literally, we put it out there, and I swear... <laughs> for like at least a good two weeks, it was nothing happening. And I was like, okay, this is a bad idea. <laughs> All right. You know? Distribution matters, that's for sure. <laughs> and then um, something really crazy started happening. So people started finding us, just randomly finding us. Like it mostly were companies, though, that would find us. So they started randomly just sort of finding us either through the app store or online by Googling like courier services. And that became, that's how we really started to take off. So we got, we started getting more businesses that wanted to use our service 
because businesses were looking for an like a, a platform where um, they can have much more control and much more interaction with the gig with the, with the delivery driver, right, with the courier, than they were getting with some of the market leaders. So we were able to provide that, and on top of that, we were able to sort of provide sort of a concierge service where we can sort of cater the delivery needs to the particular client. And that ended up becoming, we sort of ended up sort of pivoting more to the B2B side, and that sort of became really our business model more than anything. Um, so now um, we are really doing well. Like we, um, I mean, we're still a small team. We still have not raised any venture funds yet, um, but, you know, we've just passed a million dollars in, you know, revenue since we launched last year. Um, we're, yeah, we're doing you know, over a hundred and you know, pushing one hundred and sixty thousand in MRR right now, and and this is with a really small team as well, uh, where it's still I'm just a, still a solo founder. So it's been it's been it's been really demanding, and I think one of the struggles with raising money, um, it's been tough because you know I'm trying to do something that is really about workers and workers' rights. Like I'm really focused on creating a better gig economy space. Um, for people who work in this space and you know who you know um, who who make a living you know you know doing this type of thing, so I feel sometimes some of the, the venture capitalists I speak with it's not necessarily aligned with their goals in the long run, right? But I really believe that you can do good and do well at the same time. I think we can take care of people and treat them with right, treat them right, and treat them with respect, and have them have a sense of dignity about the work they do, and not exploit them. And still create a billion dollar company. Like, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I don't think you need to do one to have the other. Um, so that's sort of the thesis that I, I intend to prove with Coriel. Like we can build something that takes that all the stakeholders benefit from the drivers, the customers, and the investors. You know, yeah. like everybody, you know, is 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 valued and everybody is is uh, you know um, is respected in the process. Herb, I have a few questions. Yeah, uh, go ahead. There's a lot to unpack with what you said. And I want to make sure you get yeah, to the yeah, right yeah. things. So one, okay. one thing being, just going back, when we say Harry, it's Harry Campbell from the Rideshare Guy because people have no idea. No okay. We know him because uh, he's awesome. And he was on the <laughs> yes. podcast already. Harry Campbell, he's great. So you went to the Rideshare Guy to figure that out as well. So early on, that was for that company. So for Maestro, we have to go back to that because we can't just gloss over that, that real quick. You got into Y Combinator off of this idea, meeting the guy in a, in a ride, in an Uber or Lyft, and you apply, you get in, you go through Y Combinator, all of that. Just take me through how you were thinking about that. You said you didn't know what you didn't know what you were doing necessarily when you were going through that. Just take me through like what went wrong or mistakes you made, because I'm trying to think of other founders that could maybe not make the same mistakes or you know could learn from your experience because you did go through it. And obviously, you say you learned a lot from that experience. But just tell me what you learn going through YC as a first time founder, creative film, film guy going to YC instead. I'm just curious on what you took away from that. Well, okay. I think it's the big thing was um, as a filmmaker, you're, you're pretty much an artist, right? So you do start businesses, but they all typically like sole proprietorships, you know, LLCs where you just sort of do everything. It's kind of like a, you just got to like do whatever you need to do kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And when you, but when you build a corporation, which is different, right? It's it's a completely different instrument, a completely different structure. So yeah. coming coming from being an artist, especially a, a struggling artist, <laughs> right? <laughs> in, into into that was a big learning curve, and in, in how you need to do things, and uh, you know, like just just the way you you manage the company is different. Like, so it took a while to learn, sort of like 
how that all works. And then also just the people I hired. I was literally hiring anyone who's, who, who liked me. <laughs> like, like anybody who was like, oh yeah, man, I'll, I'll help you kind of thing. Cause okay, I cool. didn't, I didn't know anyone. So I, you know, yeah, yeah. um, the, the CTO I found on Craigslist, you know, um, and because pretty much everybody else was like, no, you can't do this. Uber's going to shut you down. So they would be like, nah, what's the point of even invest in my time in this? Cause as soon as you get it built, Uber's going to shut you down because you're going to need the API, which I had no idea what the hell the API was back then. Uh, So I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, I'm not stopping and I'm going to still try to do this, right? Because this is going to be great for drivers. So I know there's a way this can happen. Um, So yeah, so really one of the only people who I found that were willing to really give it a shot was this guy who I found on Craigslist. And uh, and then, you know, we were able to figure out a way to get it it started. And then... um, the fir- I actually got turned down from YC the first time I applied because they wanted me to have a CTO on the team. And um, at that point, I, I was using the guy I found in Craig, who's a consultant. So I yeah. brought him on as a consultant. And I said to him, well, if we get into YC, would you come on as the CTO? And he was like, well, okay, yeah, sure. If you get into YC, sure, I'll stop what I'm doing and come on as the CTO. Like, like, it's no way you're going to get into YC. Okay. So, but, but sure. If, sure. If you get into YC, yeah, I'll, I'll end all my contracting gigs and I'll, I'll come on to the CTO. And then we got into YC. <laughs> so, so, like, here so, we are. so here we are. But again, but I think because of that, uh, you know, like the relationships weren't, you know, the best, you know? So I think there was, you know, um, I think finding, Finding founders is is uh, is a, I think the biggest lesson. It's like trying to, to find the right match, and not just like the first person that comes on that you like kind of thing. Like that was sort of how I did. Literally, I was so lost and so like enamored that I had something that everybody thought was a great idea. Literally, anyone who wanted to help me, I literally just said yes. I mean, even that initial investor that you know got me the hundred thousand dollars, that turned out to be uh, you know not a great situation because I signed away rights and and things I had no idea that I was doing. No, I I basically gave them a ton of equity for just, you know, just a hundred thousand dollars. And on top of that, you know, they had um they had a clause in the contract that made it so that their their equity could not be diluted, which I had no idea what that all meant at the time. But by the time I got to YC it was a huge deal. Um and YC had to literally force them to change it. Um, and then they kind of change it a little bit, but not completely. Um, but so these are the kind of things, the ton of mistakes I made, like literally just not understanding. I, I was literally, the guy said he had $100,000. I was signing anything. Right? I was like, with this idea I have, like, I was like, sure. Um, so that all, all that stuff sort of came crashing in, you know, um, so towards the end, that that I think you know led, led to it not working out. Yeah, and Herb, with that too. So I, I'm glad you shared that because I think there's so many entrepreneurs like like yourself. Like they had a good idea, just they haven't been a founder before. So it's like you don't know what you don't know, right? Like you don't know these mistakes if you haven't been through it or you haven't talked to someone. And like for me, that's what like fuels me to talk to more people and share these stories because there's always takeaways where someone listens to it, they're like, oh, that's right, I should probably do a little more vetting on that. Uh, person or like, let's look at these deals a bit more, look at these terms a bit more. And like, I find that really useful and valuable from that. And then, and for you then going from that experience, then you say, okay, you have another start, another company, you have this company now. You're like, okay, I'm going to teach myself how to code, which 
by the way, is incredible. How, what did you do to teach yourself code? I'm curious. Did you go through a boot camp? Did you just look online? Oh, no, no. I didn't have the time to do that. So I got online. I, I got a couple of books. But mostly, just there was a lot of stuff available online. I got, I got online, and I started kind of figuring things out. And what I learned is I talked to more developers. This is all they do anyway. They Google shit all they the do, time. They Google everything. Yeah, they, they, everything. They, they, Google, they Google everything. And literally, you just Google, like, okay, how do I change this to blue? Or how do I make... Like, it's just, you just Google it, and it's like the code's right there. <laughs> and you just stop messing with it. Like, you you can, you know, so I, that's what I started to do. Uh, I started, I basically learned, the, I really taught myself, like, like Python and, you know, um, and HTML5. That was really basically what I started with. And then kind of went from there. And then, um, so just kind of got the, the basic foundation done. And then, um, then started sort of writing out the algos pretty much in English at first and then um then started trying to build them out and then once i brought the team on i started to you know kind of like pass it on to them and that, I, I still pretty much manage the team right now myself you do okay perfect and then from that too so going from that so like you have enough enough uh coding knowledge to be dangerous let's just say to, to build something and you're now <laughs> exactly. you're like 160,000 in mrr which is great to that point like you mentioned like you launched you kind of had crickets initially as you look at it now, like what kind of fueled that growth? You said some of it was kind of random, but as you kind of drill into it, how do you think about that now in terms of acquisition and growing beyond? Because obviously if you want to keep growing, yeah, I forgot that the acquisition pipeline, like how do you think of that, that now at least with the company? Yeah. So one of the reasons why it was harder to raise money too, is because I just didn't have the time. Like I was so, you know, being a solo founder and also the CTO and running operations and product and everything all, all by yourself. Um, and almost everyone I brought on, I literally trained them in what they do and now, you know, because I couldn't afford to bring on like C level people. So yeah, yeah. I had to bring on junior level people that I had to train. And now they're all doing really well. Like, you know, especially my operations guy, Steve. I mean, he came out as an intern and I trained him. And now, man, he is, he just like he has, he's created a whole new thing on his own. It's, it's really amazing to watch, you know, watch him rise. Um, so, so that's kind of what I've been doing, just bringing people on who were eager and hungry and love what we were building, but didn't have a ton of experience, but then, you know, train them in, into what they were doing. And, uh, and that's sort of how we've been able to, to do so much with so little because everybody's been working so hard. Um, but, um, but as far as the funding, you know, I, I really just had a chance to start it to really, you know, like uh, meet and, you know, have conversations with, with, with um, VCs, uh, like the beginning of the year, like more like the spring um, was the first time I started really had a chance to do it. And so I've been doing that. Uh, Elemental, the, the accelerator that I'm a part of right now, they've actually put a lot of people in front of me as well. Um, so we, we've had some good meetings. Um, we've, we've gone to diligence a couple of times, um, but still not the right fit yet. So still looking. Um, we're also also considering doing a crowdfunding campaign in which we're, we're probably going to launch that in the next few weeks to uh, Republic. We've already yeah. uh, got accepted to that program. So everyone should look out for that. Probably within the next two to three weeks, we'll have that launch. And the idea too is to really create a situation, which is really, it seemed like it's really set in the foundation of the kind of company we're building anyway, because the idea of having, you know, our drivers be owners in the company is so exciting to me. Um, so I am really, and, and it's funny, um, I've had several drivers email me already before I even exposed the, the crowdfunding idea. I've already emailed me wanting to know how they can invest. Like, is there a way they can invest in the company? Like, they're so excited about 
the way we're doing this, like the way we're basically doing is sort of the same thing as the big guys, except the only thing we don't do is we don't do e-commerce. It's really a purely courier service. So, but the process is the same. And again, the same guys that work for DoorDash and Uber Eats, they work for us, you know? Yeah, so yeah. it was the same guys. Uh, and, and what I did was deliberate in the way I built the technology. I, I, I deliberately built it in a way that looked and feel like everything else. So there wasn't a huge learning curve when somebody picks up our app and wanted to use it. Like, it, it, like it's pretty much instantaneous. Like there's not a lot that they need to learn. It looks the same, and which is part of the problem. It looks so good that everyone thought we were like another big, you know, venture back company when we're like this tiny little company, really. That's hey, you you're know, starting, this, uh... man. I love it. <laughs> Already got revenue. You're crushing with that. Well, one thing I'm curious about though with that too is like uh, seeing a website. There's a number of different markets and cities, obviously. And if you look at how Uber and these different companies grew, they went city by city approach, which makes sense. You have to get the demand and everything and the supply. How have you looked at that side of it for you in terms of which cities <laughs> launching in new markets? Like, take me through that, man. Yeah. I tell you, I am very unorthodox in everything I do. Oh, tell me more. Look, I know that's the way you should start a company, right? <laughs> because I had no money and I literally was like, I mean, I had I had so little money to work with when we launched a company. I didn't see the point in trying to pour everything I had into one market since I have no money at all. So what I did is I said, I'm just going to open it up in like the seven biggest markets that I know have a, a large concentration of drivers. Because initially for me, I wanted to see if drivers even, if drivers thought we had a business model that they could, you know, they could sink their teeth into, that they, that they could like and appreciate. So, so I just put it out. And uh, in like seven markets as soon, as soon as we launch. Um, and, and that really is what saved us, right? It's because, because we were so wide, we weren't, you know, we weren't getting a lot of business in, but because we were so wide, it exposed us in a lot of places at the same time. And so it, we looked like we were bigger than we actually were. So that attracted businesses to us who didn't know we had just launched a company, actually. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and one of our biggest customers right now, um, you know, is a company uh, called Easy Cater, who's about to go public, as, as far as I understand. Um, they they sort of found us during that time, you know, and they liked our mission creed. They liked what we were about. They liked we were about empowering drivers, making sure they're paid well, making sure they can work with dignity and respect. They loved that. They loved the fact because they, you know, I mean, they had worked with everybody else before, and that was one of the things that they had trouble with is, like, they felt the drivers were being exploited too much. So they liked the fact that that was a different direction that we were going in, so they wanted to give us a shot. So they started us off with 20 deliveries about a year ago, and now we're up to almost 800 a week, you know, with them alone. Yeah. So, um, and expanding in, in, you know, in multiple cities every, you know, every few weeks. So, um, so I think the fact me being, us being unorthodox and saying, you know what, hey, I should probably just start in San Francisco and see what happens. But I have no money, so what the hell? Just throw it on the window. And that actually, you know, actually turned out to be good for us. I don't recommend it, actually. Like, I wouldn't tell other founders, yeah, do that. I think, I think, you know, it was sort of a unique situation for us, and it, it, it actually helped in the work that worked out for us. What other ways are you unorthodox in, in terms of how you're building this and how you think about this? Because you definitely have a, a unique background with this film thing. You went through YC then. Like, you have this background that's like, all right, you have all this, like, breadth of experience. Like, how else are you unorthodox in terms of thinking about how you're growing this? Well, um, for instance, like, we put a, a heavy uh, 
like we 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 focus a lot on on people, right? Uh, and not as much in technology. Now it is a technology company, but again, like I say, a lot of the technology that's is required to do what we do is not particularly unique, right? So I I can't compete with the big guys on technology, but I can compete with them being more human, right? Being uh you know like more human kindness, like creating a place that feels like home for these gig workers, right? So one of the things we do that's different, we have a live dispatch center, uh, which is the nucleus of our company, which is which is ran by actual human beings in America that actually some of which were drivers before. Um, so our, our gig workers are constantly in, in communication with a, a live person throughout the day if they have any issues. And this is something that they love and really, you know, really appreciate us for. And on top of that, it's also we also connected that the dispatch to the customers. So the customers, our dispatch, and our couriers, our couriers, are all in communication toward the life cycle of a delivery. So it's like a, you know, that type of of uh, of communication is really what's I think been allowing us to grow so fast because that's what a lot of companies seem to be yearning for the opportunity to feel like they have a courier that actually belongs to them that they can talk to, communicate well, because things change all the time. Um, yeah. Like I would say technology alone is just not enough to build these companies properly. Technology alone works a lot in AI and other companies like that. But what I'm finding in, in this particular space, in the delivery space, uh, it's a service industry, really. So you can't rely completely on technology. And I think, I think the bigger companies um, rely too much on technology. And I think that's why there's so much pushback now in a way you know, driver that's you know dissatisfaction, even now spilling the customer dissatisfaction because technology can't do it all. Like you know, if someone is lost or the address is bad, and you have to try to text you know DoorDash or Uber, and you talk to a bot, and then once the bot's finished with you, you talk to someone in India that can hardly speak English. Like, I mean, you're on the road when this is all happening. So what are you going to do? You're going to just leave the food somewhere because you need to go to your next gig so you can make money to pay your bills, right? Um, so by, by having a human connection where there's an actual human being, a text away, a phone call away that can actually say, Hey, oh, yo, the address has been wrong. Uh, I have, I'm, I'm talking to the customer right now. Let me, let me get that to you. Boom. Fixed. Right. Or, and I don't know where to park. There's nowhere to park. And then you got to contact the customer and try to figure out, and like all these ways of communicating that, uh, sometimes makes it harder for them to do their job. We've, we've simplified to our platform. Hold on with that. With that, I got to, I got to ask him this because I can't pass this up. Okay, what is like the <laughs> ratio then of like your your humans that are actually able to help versus the drivers? Obviously, you know the tech companies are trying to do this at scale so they can hit a bigger scale and obviously grow and all that sort of, sort of stuff. But like, is there a ratio you have of you're trying to keep, or is there like we have people on that just are handling this full time? I just am curious on how that works in terms of how you're looking at it. Well, when you said the, the ratio, you mean the ratio of your employees that are helping them if they need it. Oh, you mean the dispatch center? Yeah, dispatch center. Yeah. Okay. So, so right now, because we're so small, we have just one dispatch center, um, yeah. and it's it's ram. It's like have like four people in it working there, um, and that's that's where everyone communicates with. But as we scale, there's going to be a dispatch center in different markets. Like there'll be one, you know, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, yeah. you know, the South. There'll be a center for each one. And another thing that we do too is like, like I say, the I think one of the things a lot of the big companies do is they spend, they overspend on engineers, right? 
like, you know, I have nothing against, you know, going to Stanford and MIT and coming out with a computer science degree at 21 and then getting offered $200,000 by Uber, right? I mean, that's great, but yeah. um, that's not going to happen at Coriel, right? <laughs> at Coriel, we, we, we want engineers that are coming to work. Like, you're not going to come work with us and work on one tiny problem all day. You're going to come with us and find a way to build something new, right? And take yeah. us to the next level. And so, and I, so for us, because we focus on people, we want to spend more on having people man these centers, right? Um, at like fifty, sixty thousand dollars instead of having like thousands of two hundred thousand dollar engineers. So just the way we're going to structure the company um, is going to be different, um, and that's going to allow us to move our um, our resources around in a way that makes sense for us to stay um, as a company that's 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 focused on people first. That makes sense. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you're going that route, and I I, I love it because I think people people now see the same problem, right? They see this where there's like you don't get a human in any type of customer service where people are trying to automate it, so that you're like, oh, we don't have to have a person staff this. Like, I understand it from a tech company standpoint, I get it, but from the people standpoint and the user standpoint, it sucks. <laughs> like, it's just not. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. And so you're always trying to this this mashup of how do you how do you manage that? How do you oh, how do we have better bots? Okay, well, how do we have maybe humans? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, that scales is going to be interesting as well. But see, that's what. What happens though is um, they, they these companies they become so focused on finding a technology fix for everything, yeah. right? And technology is wonderful. I love technology. I mean, like you know, I love technology, um, but it doesn't solve every problem, right? Like it, you need to find a way to mash to mash it up just well, right? Just right. So, um, and I think especially in the kind of business that we're in, in this is a service industry. So it really never was intended to be something that is completely ran by technology because it's too there's too many there's too many people involved. There's the drivers, there's the consumers, there's there's the vendors. Like these are all human beings that have to interact with each other, like you know, on a daily basis. So you can't just rely on technology for that. And I think that's what um, I learned in doing the research and what I learned in building a company. Um, when I was when I was doing the research, I was doing all the deliveries in the Bay Area by myself, right? And I would go to different people and I would deliver the, you know, the thing they didn't know. They didn't know it was just one person at the company and me, the CEO at that point. <laughs> so I would, I would make these deliveries and then the satisfaction that these customers would have, you know, with the service and the fact that they were like, wow, why hasn't this been done before? This is so great. I think one of my best stories was there was this lady who was, um, she was throwing up, she was trying to, she was throwing a birthday thing for her mom. But she lost her babysitter, so she got stuck at it in her house. And she just started Googling to see if there was anything out here that could help her get some of these things done quickly. And she found us. So I literally drove all the way to Santa Cruz and San, from San Francisco just to do her job, right? And, um, and I, so I went to her. I went to, so she wanted me to go pick up some stuff from uh, Target, right? that was already paid for. I picked it up and then had to go to a bakery and pick up a cake and then deliver the, the stuff from Target and the cake to a mom's house. Right. And, uh, and, and that was what, that's what our company does. And this lady was, oh my God, she was so grateful. She was like, oh my God, how many, can I just tip you more? Like, I'm so thankful. I, I don't know how I would have done this without you. And so and I'm saying that is what you miss, right? When you, when you allow only technology to run the show, like you have to mix it up. You have to have the technology because the technology, to me, is what makes it all work, what smooths it off. But you got to have a, a system where people are allowed to engage with each other on a much easier and consistent level. 
Yeah, and I, I know we're almost out of time, so we can't get to too much more, but we'll have to have a part two at some point because there's too much to talk, to talk about. And I want to see how this progresses as well. But where's the best place for people to learn more about this and also connect with you as well, Herb? Yeah, so um, I'm not great with social media, but the uh, you know, Coriel.com is the website for the company. Um, and on, on, on the website, you can learn about you know, how to download a user app or a driver app if you want to become a Coriel. And um, yeah, and then we, we have an IG, uh, IG account, it's uh, Go Coriel, a Twitter account, also Go Coriel, and then uh, Facebook is Coriel. Herb, thank you so much for the time today, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.